Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Make you guys a deal. I'm going to go a little lighter on the promo today, but I'm going to bang them out rapid fire here, right at the front end of the podcast. Pretty good trade? Cool. This podcast, Fantasy NBA Today, is brought to you by ExpressVPN, the most trusted VPN, the number one ranked VPN on planet Earth. Go to expressvpn.com slash hoopball, yes, our old name, to get 15 months for the price of 12. Watch League Pass. Watch any game, anytime. Blackouts can stick it. This podcast is also brought to you by our buddies at Manscaped.com. Use promo code HOOPBALL20 or ETHOS20 to get 20% off and free shipping on your order. Manscaped informed me that y'all didn't buy stuff in December, and I think it's because people don't listen to the podcast for the second half of the month. But you're back. It's January now, and it's time to show Manscaped that we're the best damn partner they've ever had. Go to Manscaped.com. Check out the products And use our promo code to get 20% off and free shipping on your order. This podcast is also brought to you by our buddies at Thrive Fantasy and ThriveFantasy.com. Get the app on your mobile device. Play DFS with prop bets. Choose 10 out of 20 props. And if you hit the most and get a bunch of points for hitting them, you win money. Make your deposit using promo code ETHOS on your first one. And they'll match it 100%. Plus, with just a $10 deposit, you get two $20 $20 contest entry tickets, $60 of credit for 10 bucks at thrivefantasy.com. And of course, our longtime pals at mybookie.ag. Promo code there is hoopball, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L, on the third page of sign up. Join us as we once again work our way through a calendar year at mybookie, cashing the free and easy money. Last year, I think we made close to $500 on mybookie's odds boosts and locks and promos. Come on, just join us, won't you? That's two seasons now we've been doing this. We're close to $1,000 up. Don't tell me you guys don't need 1000 bucks. How's that? Rapid fire promo, front end of the podcast. Now you don't have to worry about it the whole rest of the show. Welcome to the pod. I'm Dan Bespris. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This, of course, is a sports ethos podcast. The single greatest fantasy news feed on planet Earth, Ethos Fantasy BK. More people find it every single day. You should, too. I'm telling you, man. There were, like, fantasy labs used to be better. It's not anymore. Just be straight with you. And I'm not trying to pick on them. It's just that they stopped doing stuff after, like, 7 p.m. Pacific time. Fantasy doesn't stop at 7 p.m. Pacific time. There's more. And Roto World, outstanding. Well, NBC Sports Edge, sorry, got it wrong again. They have a great feed. I don't want to take anything away from that, but Sports Ethos is faster. Very good analysis from both. Ethos is faster. If you're not using Twitter and you're playing fantasy basketball, you're falling behind. Simple as that. So I made some uh, decisions. Remember on yesterday's podcast, I talked about how I really wanted to figure out a uh, Damian Lillard plan. And we are going to do a special Dame episode either later on tonight, being Friday, or over the weekend. 
because I want to make sure, first of all, that I have the data I need to do the show. And the data I need is public perception, which I can have a feeling on based on questions I'm getting and what people are talking about. But until I have the raw numbers in my hands, and I'm getting some of those from various polls I've been posting on Twitter intermittently amongst other fantasy things, at Dan Vespers, then we can know for sure how everybody feels about Lillard. We're going to talk it through. We're going to look at playoff situations. There's a whole bunch that goes into these calculations, the, the, the Dame calculus. How much is Lillard worth in fantasy right this moment? And once we know that, you can figure out which side of the fence are you on. Are you a buy or are you a sell? I also, I'm hoping that I can do some of this on video. Do a little hit for our YouTube page. Uh, my new good friend Jake can put something together for Twitter, for Instagram, things of that nature. So we can really fire that thing out. We'll try to make it a quicker one, maybe like a five-minute hyper-special show. And I'll also drop it here on this podcast channel. That'll be maybe a slightly longer form iteration of that same discussion. And I know nobody can pay attention for more than five minutes on YouTube. But here on the pod, maybe you guys get ten. <laughs> you can pay attention for ten. You don't even have to go one and a half speed. So with that in mind, that turns this Friday show back into the traditional format, which is highlights of the week. We say days of the week. That's a song my kid sings in preschool. Highlights of the week. Ads, drops, streams, stashes, thoughts on basically the last four and change days of fantasy basketball. So let's just dive right into that now. I say right into that, even though we probably had our biggest, our longest opening of the season. But I wanted to get all that stuff out of the way. I don't want to have to take a break in the middle. Once I get rolling, I get rolling, man. That's, that's how we work. Uh, there's no real perfect way to go through this. So I'm going to start with the stashes because there are only three. Four, sorry, there are four. Four to be discussed, not all of them actual stashes. First, Kelly Olenek, who I've been pushing pretty hard as a stash up until the beginning of this week when I finally said, look, I don't know if I can hold on to this dude any longer. I've been stashing for like three weeks. He was supposed to be back by now. And then all of a sudden, middle of this week, we got a report that he had been transferred to and from the Pistons G League team. It wasn't entirely clear what that meant. Dwayne Casey was saying he's he's working out with the team again. How close is he? We still don't know. But just the fact that we got any kind of report on Kelly, I'm going to stash him a little bit longer. Because if, you, if you've watched any recent Pistons games, you know that there is a wide open spot for him on a team that desperately needs some kind of leadership on the floor. Anything, whatever, anything at all, please, Lord. The problem, of course, is one of our other potential stashes, and that's Jeremy Grant, who's probably about the same distance away now, as it seems like Grant and Olytic have fallen into uh, pretty damn similar timelines. Maybe Grant, what, a week, week and a half behind, where earlier we thought he might be as many as three weeks behind? Grant is the easiest stash of them all, because he was posting top 60 value prior to getting hurt. He has that big gig carved out on this team and it's not going anywhere and frankly the fact that he got the middle of the season off yes it's going to take him time to get his conditioning back when he returns but last year we saw him fall apart because he just got too tired 
Maybe you take some of that off the table, and Jeremy Grant might have a better end of season this time around than last year. What happens if both of those guys come back? It's a little bit murky, but I do think you still need to hold on to Olenek just because he has such a nice fantasy outlook, if you can. Isaiah Hartenstein is another stash. I think he's one you can pick up right now because he apparently on TikTok talked about how he was coming back within the next five days. You know, ultra-reliable source, Isaiah Hartenstein's TikTok or his wife's TikTok or whatever the, whatever the story was there. I don't know. I mean, will he be back in five, perhaps? And if he is, he walks into a terrific role because the Clippers' front court is an absolute mess. They don't want to use Serge Ibaka all that much. I think they'd prefer to use Marcus Morris at the four, if at all possible. Ivica Zubas is in protocols right now. If those guys do end up in a timeshare, which is what it kind of looked like was happening prior to first Hartenstein and then Zoo going out, 24 minutes is probably enough for Zubats to get to about top 120 kind of value. And for Hartenstein, that's enough for get, to get him inside the top 100. Half a ball game is all he needs. With the passing, the steals, the blocks, the rebounds, the field goal percent, he does enough enough categories to where the per minute thing is pretty nice. And the last dash I want to talk about, which was brought up on Twitter uh, quite a bit yesterday, is Kawhi Leonard. The Clippers are starting to talk up Kawhi as being ahead of schedule in his rehab. And I have three words. I don't care. You trying to tell me Kawhi Leonard, captain of the rest day, the man who turned load management into a real thing in the NBA, is running ahead of schedule for a Clippers team that's flailing without Paul George. Flailing. Three and seven in their last ten games. They fall into the eight seed. Half game up on the Wolves. At least they've got a little bit of breathing room before that very last play-in spot. Currently held by the San Antonio Spurs, but that's a cluster mess for that one. You, you figure the Blazers will ultimately find their way into that ten seed, but... If they can't get healthy, then that's, I suppose, a different story. Clippers are flailing, man. I don't think that Kawhi's in any kind of rush to get back to a team where Paul George is dealing with uh, an elbow deal that might require Tommy John surgery. I think it's a little different for basketball players, but it's the UCL. No. No. I mean, we're talking, like, last two weeks of the season. There might be some value built in. And it's kind of the same story as Jamal Murray, although at least he's his injury occurred a little bit earlier so maybe he gets back for like the last four weeks. But no, 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 no. The only players you would rightfully stash for three months are guys where they would come back and you get consistent top 25 value. And at least Kawhi makes a push at that. But again, these guys are not coming back and playing 40 minutes right out of the shoot. It's going to be 20, 20, 20, 24, 24, 24, that kind of thing. There's just, there's no reason to get wild with it like that. Especially with the playoffs, they'll be right around the corner now, there's going to be this desire to push those dudes, and, and the teams are going to have to hold themselves back. All right, let's go through the ads, the drops, and the streams. Uh, but first, I did want to mention the Spurs and the Jazz are both dealing with a glut of protocols right now. Jazz also have some injured players on top of it. That's really a team to finally pay attention to. They've had the same everything for basically every single ballgame so far this year, and now... With a few players in protocols, a few guys dealing with nagging injuries, some of it has to do with traveling across the border. There's different restrictions in Canada as opposed to the U.S. 
as it pertains to COVID. They might just leave some players behind so there's less testing. That's a possibility. Teams are, I don't want to say trying to game the system a little bit, but just really like not lose a player to protocols with an asymptomatic deal. If it wasn't going to get caught, they're less worried about it and so on and so forth. Although I guess now, now that one's been nipped, Rudy Gobert back, back in protocols all this time later. Uh, by the way, super annoying because I just traded for him in a spot. The You might actually see some guys surface for the Jazz. Rudy Gay, who's questionable, had a really nice ball game. I said I wasn't going to trust him again, but if the whole team is out, then you kind of have no choice but to trust him. So that's a possibility. And then other guys may emerge on that Jazz team. Same story for San Antonio. Like, every wing and power forward for the Spurs just hit protocols in the last couple of days. Someone's going to have to do something. It can't just be DeJounte Murray and Jakob Pertle for the entire ballgame. There are going to be three other guys on the court with them. Will any of those three guys emerge with fantasy value? I don't know. It's possible that no one has quite the actual fantasy game to make it happen, but we should at the very least keep an eye on it. Ads for the last week. Alec Burks. I'm calling him an ad instead of a streamer, mostly because we just don't know what's going on with Kemba Walker. And ultimately, this probably is more of a stream when Kemba comes back. The minutes get a little bit wedged again. But I know, they're talking about Kemba as, like, it's not a serious thing, but we know his knee is a serious thing. Like, it, I don't know that it could be almost any more serious than it is. It's a, you know, arthritic knee. So even if he does get better here, he's going to get worse again, probably within this same year. So I don't know, man. Like, to say that's not something that's going to be a, uh, a problem for a while seems a little bit silly. So Alec Burks, that's why he's an ad and not just a stream. Because I do think that this is something that pops up, goes away, pops up, goes away. Makes him a little bit easier to deal with in Roto because you could just bench him for the week that Kemba plays again. But head-to-head, you probably get enough out of him also as it levels off. DeAnthony Melton is an ad. He's back, and he didn't look great in yesterday's ballgame for Memphis. I mean, they smashed the Pistons, but he did get 21 minutes. That's important. We need him up and over 20. No matter what happens, we need him up and over 20. Eight boards, six assists, a steal, two blocks. I mean, he really was like two made shots away from a pretty damn nice fantasy line. And that's the the beauty of DeAnthony Melton. Even when his shot stinks, which it kind of has all season to this point, he's going to do the other stuff. And it seemed like they were trying to shoehorn him into 21-ish minutes even as they got healthy this last go-round. Maybe, maybe not. But you certainly can't leave that on the wire. And... You know, as soon as we give up, that's when he'll get a more consistent role. So just stick with it. He does enough. Uh, Herb Jones spent some time on him on yesterday's podcast. Uh, you know, again, I don't think that this steals and blocks rate stays forever. We've seen it even with Matisse Thybul, who, he, you know, he's one of the most gifted steals blocks guys that we've had in the NBA in quite some time. And maybe Herb Jones is of that same mold but it always levels off. Even the best of the best of the best start to run out of gas a little bit. In the meantime, though, you might as well have it going. Herb's been very good. We still really haven't heard anything about Zion. He's not even rehabbing with the team anymore. So he's still pretty far away. Which means there's a runway here where even without any usage, 
Jones is doing enough, thanks largely to the defensive stats. So if those go away, things could turn sour in a hurry, but they're not for now. You know, you might as well roll with it. Marcus Morris is an ad. Most people, I think, have probably already figured that one out. He's getting a ton of shots with Paul George out, and I don't think that's going anywhere. He's probably the team's best offensive player with Paul George out. He and Reggie Jackson can fight for that inefficient offensive title. Reggie's winning the title there, which I don't think you actually want to do based on the criteria for winning that title. But Marcus Morris is a go. I'm actually going to put Reggie Jackson in this category as well. I know that his shot has been terrible, but again, last time PG was out, Reggie did stuff in assists, and I have to believe somewhere in my core that he's going to find the assists again. And maybe you don't have to start him until he does, but once the assists start to come and you start to look at five, six per game instead of three or four, that's what puts him up and over the hump. He becomes very much like the Jalen Brunson filling in for Luka Doncic type mold with better free throws and three balls and worse field goal percent. Jalen Green is an ad. That was uh, basically as soon as he came back from all of his injury stuff because the Rockets are about to turn him loose if they haven't already. He got 17 shots in their most recent ballgame, second highest total there. Uh, was Kevin Porter Jr. with 13. Green is a much better offensive player. Uh, he's going to... There are going to be games where he struggles because the rest of his fantasy game is not particularly robust. But, again, if you get that number of shots, that amount of usage, then you pretty much don't have to... You almost don't have to do anything else. It's kind of like when Reggie Jackson started the year taking 20 shots a game, and we were like, look, all he needs to do is make like 42% of these, and he's good to go. Well, he uh, didn't make 42% of them, and he actually started to take fewer shots per game so Reggie trended the wrong way. Jalen, I believe, trending the other direction. He's going to get to the line more often than Jackson did. His shots are not about to trend down. This is go time for the young fella. Uh, and I think he's going to get incrementally better as the season goes, where hopefully we might even see a little bit of other stuff in his fantasy game start to pop up a little bit. Terrence Ross, not all that dissimilar a fantasy line, but he's been going pretty good here for Orlando. He's he's embraced whatever's happening with the Magic. He's firing away off the bench, which is sweet. He's never been shy about getting shots up, and when he's warm, which he has been, he's a go. He's also one of the only veterans on that team, which means he's going to see a little extra playing time. He's going to take a little bit of a leadership role. I think you're going to see more assists from Ross than he had in the past because they need him to not just be a bench gunner. They need him to be more than that. The Brooklyn front court. LaMarcus Aldridge is very much an ad if he got dropped anywhere. And talked about it on yesterday's podcast, so I'll, I'll very quickly reiterate because this is the sort of sit-out-there-for-the-weekend episode. He uh, has talked vocally about how COVID knocked him out pretty good. So he's just barely getting his wind back. Like, he's still feeling the after effects. You could almost still call it symptomatic, even if he's not contagious anymore. So the fact that he came off the bench, only played whatever it was, 16 minutes in their last ballgame, this is him just slowly ramping back up. And once he does, that's going to be his job again. I do wonder if people might get impatient and drop him because of the protocols, because he's come back here slowly. For that reason, you can hold Nick Klax, and he probably ends up being a streamer, but you can hang on to him here just to kind of see how this thing plays out. Dorian Finney-Smith has been an ad for a while. This is the part of the, the show where we get into the guys that have been added for a long time, but 
just in case somebody did something silly. He's been really good after a quite a slow start. Finney Smith has been more like a top 75 guy for a better part of a month now. Pat Beverly should have been added the moment he came back from injury. I know his overall season hanging around near 100, but he's been so much better than that lately. Jared Vanderbilt, if he got dropped during his protocols, he's an add back. And Rob Covington, if he got dropped when he was out, is an add back as well. No explanation needed on those guys. Your drops of the week. Trey Lyles with Isaiah Stewart back. He's an easy drop. I'm going to put Hamadou Diallo on this thing as well. And that's going to be my probably my most controversial drop on the list. Because uh, he had those gigantic games. But I, I cannot convey to you guys enough the problems with Diallo's fantasy game. It, it, it gets so easily overlooked because he scores a bunch and he rebounds and he gets some defensive stats. But he doesn't hit the three ball. Both percentages are bad, and his turnovers tend to be high. He has a not-that-dissimilar fantasy makeup than a guy like a Russell Westbrook, just with far fewer assists and, you know, markedly lower turnovers also. No one's catching Westbrook in that one. But it's that same problem where we're so fast to overlook fantasy gaps when guys put up eye-popping popcorn numbers, points, boards, assists, that type of thing. We just don't even bother. We don't even think about the fact that now you're getting a a small forward who doesn't hit a three-pointer. You're getting a small forward who tanks you in percentages. He has to do so much. This is maybe the better way to think about it. He has to do so much in the categories where he's good, steals points and rebounds, basically, to overcome the three or four categories that he's bad. Bad categories are a bigger deal than good ones. It's a weird... It it doesn't actually make mathematical sense, but it just... To have someone who's anchoring you, not in a good way, like a big weight that's got you stuck in the mud... In any one particular category, they have to be so good in the other ones to make up for it. Because the other guys near the top of the board in fantasy, or anywhere in the top 75 in fantasy, aren't generally that awful in any one category. And the ones that are, they have that other one where they're monumentally good at it. Giannis, horrendous foul shooter, but very, very good in scoring and rebounds, and pretty good in field goal percent. Rudy Gobert, bad free throw shooter, doesn't take any three-pointers. Terrific in rebounding. Terrific in block shots. Terrific in field goal percent. That's how you make up for it. Hamadou is not doing that type of stuff to make up for the things where he's bad. Devontae Graham was a drop as soon as guys started coming back, but I had to put him on this list. Eric Bledsoe was a drop as soon as Reggie Jackson came back. Every other rocket... Besides Jalen Green and Christian Wood is basically a drop. There's just too much uncertainty out there. Yeah, that includes Jay Sean Tate. I'm just not even going to deal with it. Gary Harris is what I'm calling my almost drop right now. He's on the chopping block, but I haven't parted with him yet. I want to see one, maybe two more games with the Magic getting back to mostly full strength. But what we saw before is that he just doesn't get enough shots with Cole Anthony back in the mix. That those shots go to the young fella. The, the exciting young fella, Gary Harris, doesn't need to do as much. And if you take away the shots, if you take away the scoring, then he's pretty much just like a three ball and a half and a steal. And that's not enough. 
Similar story for Justin Holiday. Pacers expected to return here in their next ballgame. Malcolm Brogdon is coming back. Uh, Karis LeVert is right behind him. Chris Duarte is right behind him. Th- there's just not going to be enough left for Justin Holiday as those guys return. He was able to get enough shots because everybody was out. Facundo Campazzo moves down into the streamer department with Monte Morris back. He's no longer a uh, full add and play. Damian Jones is probably a drop to me. He's just run out of gas filling in for Rashawn Holmes much longer than he or anyone really expected him to be filling in for Rashawn because at first it was, all right, well, his eye is scratched and Alex Len is in protocols. And then it was like, oh, crap, this guy's better than Alex Len. And then Rashawn Holmes hit protocols. And they were like, Damian, how many games in a row can you play 30 minutes? And he's like, this many. (laughs) And that number has now passed. He might catch his breath here if the Kings get uh, a day or two off between ball games. So maybe there's a stream left in it. But I don't know. The upside isn't as high now that he's starting to tire a little bit. He doesn't block that many shots. It's mostly points, boards, and field goal percent. And that's useful in various formats and various builds at this point. Because you're getting into that second half of the year. You start to hunt categories. But overall, I don't think there's a whole lot left. And Chris Boucher is in the one day more category. Yeah, shout out Lame is. Um, honestly, one more game. But he's been trending down. He, Achua, and Kem Birch have basically been splitting all of those backup front court minutes. Each of them kind of ending up with a round 18, give or take three. And if Boucher can establish himself as the guy who gets 20, and the other guys get 13, then he ends up as a hold. But if it's 18, 15, and 15, or if Boucher ends up with 14 and, and Achua gets 18, like we saw in that last ball game, that wouldn't be enough. And the streams du jour. The streams du jour. Brandon Clark is a stream right now. Uh, his minutes trended down yesterday. Actually, let me loop back around to Brandon Clark because I, I kind of want to spend a second on him. Cam Johnson stream until Jay Crowder is actually playing again, which might be the very next ball game. so keep your eye on that. Kelly Oubre is a stream if he's heating up. This is really much more about his... Uh, Terrence Ross-like heater stretches he goes on. Furkan Korkmaz is a stream while Matisse Thibault is out. Uh, Maxi Kleba is a stream while Kristaps Porzingis is out. Anthony Simons, obviously a stream with Dame out. And the Max Struess, Caleb Martin, P.J. Tucker contingent are streamable while Jimmy Butler is out. Although, again, some of these guys might be back in their team's next ballgame. But the one I want to actually spend two or three minutes on here is Brandon Clark. I don't believe, I want to start the discussion on Brandon Clark by mentioning, I don't think he gets enough minutes when particularly Kyle Anderson comes back, but it might even happen when John Conchar comes back. But the other note on Brandon Clark is that he only needs about 22 minutes to be a fantasy value. I base this, of course, on two years ago. Not as much on last year. Somebody, Austin Power, fat bastarded away his mojo last season. And if you're wondering if that makes sense, look no further than the percentages. His free throw percentage dropped from 76 to 69. His field goal percent dropped from 62 to 52. The field goal percent is back. He's at 64% so far this year. Free throw percent is not. Although, who the hell knows what's actually going on there because he really he hasn't taken very many. Uh, And then the minutes are down, not surprisingly, because they have other options, and he hasn't really taken that big leap forward. He was 
older coming out of college anyway. Uh, remember, he was drafted two thousand before that 2019 abridged season, and I believe he was already 23 by the time that year started. So he's 25 now, Brandon Clark. And, of course, on a team like the Grizzlies that's that's leaning into the young thing quite a bit, his, I don't want to say that his opportunity sort of came and went in one quarter season, but it kind of did. But we're not too worried about that because, again, we're talking about a minutes-per-game target with him. We know enough about Brandon Clark to where if, if some of his stuff is coming back to where it was his rookie year, the field goal percent is back, the blocks are actually up this season, even if the steals are down. Turnovers are low. Uh, rebounding rate is about the same as in previous seasons. 22 minutes is enough. And you've seen that over the last four ball games: 23, 25, 25, 22. Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton came back. His 25 minutes went down to 22. Kyle Anderson, John Conchar... Those are the guys you need to be worried about. But if there's some wacky way that Clark can stay above 21 minutes per game, then he might actually become more than a streamer. Remember, he was like right around the top 90 in 22 minutes his rookie season. That is a that is a, a mark he could duplicate. And if the blocks actually got better, either by some sort of anomaly or if he actually just got better at it, then there's room for growth there. Am I saying you need to pick up Brandon Clark and start him in every format? I'm definitely not. But again, this is a time of the year where we're hunting particular things. And for him, field goal percent, rebounds, steals, blocks. He does a few things without really punishing you in any categories outside of three-pointers. But he's a power forward, so, you know, who cares? The problem I see with Brandon Clark right now is that he's lost his center eligibility. That was one of the really nice things about him in the previous couple of years. He's small forward, power forward eligible, so that's not quite as alluring as in seasons past. And frankly, that might be a reason to pass on him. Because if you're going to go get him, you're like, okay, I'm getting my center stuff. Or are you saying, hey, I'm going to get my center type stats from someone I can drop into a small forward spot on my roster? Maybe there's an advantage to that, depending on what kind of build you have. So he's in the stream department, but there's a streamer with benefits element that might be materializing here. I give it, much like Chris Boucher, about a 5 to 10% chance of actually happening. So probably not, like big time probably not, but maybe. And if it does, you kind of want to be there to catch it. I'll also say this, keep an eye on your Hawks, your Atlanta Hawks. We didn't really talk about them at all during this week in review part of the podcast. Uh, they're expected to get most of their guys back for the games in Los Angeles. So I'm expecting Danilo Gallinari's value to take a massive hit. Cam Reddish is going to take a big hit. He might hang on to a little something until Bogdan comes back. But he's not going to get the shots he was getting with John Collins returning. Uh, Trey Young back, most likely. So DeLon Wright vanishes. Of all of those guys, again... The one that I would consider is still Gallo, just because he can get there quicker than the other guys. Largely because he might just end up going nine for nine at the free throw line in a ball game, and that might be his fantasy value for a night. With Reddish, like he needs to get sixteen shots up, or it's not going to happen. And uh, I was going to wrap things up, but then I realized there's a very obvious buy low on the market 
that I mentioned in passing on, I think, uh, Wednesday's podcast. I don't know. I can't keep the days straight. And that's James Harden, who's number nine right now in nine cat on a per game basis, obviously higher than that in eight cat. Wow. What, second in the league in turnovers behind only Russ, if I'm uh, not mistaken? So uh, Harden, number six in eight cat. Doesn't catapult him all the way to the top, but it gets him pretty close. What I'd like to point out is James Harden last year, which I know wasn't the same thing because typically someone was out for Brooklyn last season. And the fear that everyone has right now on Harden is that he's going to be He's just not going to take that many shots with Kyrie back in the mix, that he's going to drop to like 13 shots a game. Well, here's the thing. Kyrie's still only playing in road games, which effectively, just without digging too deep into the numbers, just call it every other game. That's a pretty easy way to do it. You know, I, I get it. Some teams have played more home games than road games. Uh, Nets have... I think they've actually played more home games than road by two. So a couple extra road games. We're a little bit less than halfway through the NBA season. Of that remaining time, it's still going to be the same as it was up to this point half the time. And the other half of the time, we've seen that they can all coexist. We've seen it. Harden just becomes an assist juggernaut. He averaged about 11 assists a game last year with guys like KD and now Kyrie next to him who just make things. They make shots. He's going to get assists to those guys without even having to do anything special. Just hand it to them and ball go in. So no, I'm not worried about Harden. And he's sitting at number nine so far on a very low field goal percent this year. Remember, he shot close to 47% with the Nets last season. He's still only at 41.5. If that became 47, he rockets up the board. And it's quite conceivable that his field goal percent does go up. Now, I know we've argued in the past, and I will continue to do so, that usage is value. So when Kyrie plays, yeah, there's, there's a non, not nominal chance that Harden's usage goes down. And value goes down as well. But if you see a giant field goal spike, you remove his second worst category. And frankly, the only category besides turnovers where Harden is under sea level is field goal percent. Everything else is above it. Even blocks. He's at about league average in blocks out of the shooting guard spot. And that's kind of been his thing for a while now. I don't know what it's going to take to get him. And we're doing a Dame special coming up later today. But it might be time for me to do a little James Harden sleuthing to find out what it might cost you to get yourself a potential mid-first rounder the rest of the way. And we'll go ahead and put a pin in things here because we do have that extra show coming. That is what happened over the course of the week. You got all your ads at the beginning of the show. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Back at you with the Dame special. I'm Dan Bespris at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. Please do drop me a follow. Sportsethos.com at ethosfantasybk. And we'll talk to you guys in the Dame show in the next 24 hours. So long, everybody.